Well, I'm sure people are going to start, will continue trickling in, but let me open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your mercies that are new every morning. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. Because of Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf, you show us abundant grace. You give us hope and joy, even in the midst of the the trials and the difficulties of life. And God, we see that in every area of life, but this morning as we think about parenting and we realize our own weakness and sin and we uh, cry out to you afresh for your grace and your your help and even as we discuss your truths from your word this morning and about who you are we, we pray that you'd be working in our hearts by your spirit equipping us to uh, train up our children and just reminding us afresh of our of our need as um, sinners before you of your daily mercies we pray this all in Christ's name amen all right, welcome. Um, so this is our first week of our parenting class. I've called it, it's we're, we're using a video series called Getting to the Heart of Parenting. I've got here copies of this. These are, this is a discussion guide. It's got places to take notes and, and uh, it'll follow along with the, um, the lesson. Let's see. So anyways, uh, this is a class called Getting to the Heart of Parenting. You might recognize Paul Tripp. He's well known for his stash. Um, he's the, the one who we're going to see in the video. Um, he's uh, done a lot of, he's been involved in different ministries over the years. Um, he has a biblical counseling degree from Westminster Seminary and involved in biblical counseling, pastoral ministry at different levels, teaching. Now he mainly has his own ministry called Paul Tripp Ministries. And if you haven't ever heard of him or read any of his books, he's he's written widely, and I'd, I really have enjoyed his writing, um, his ministry, his teaching. Is he's very focused on connecting all these things, these doctrines that we teach, we learn about in the Bible, and connecting them to just practical everyday life. How we handle, you know, parenting, marriage, money, life change, trials, suffering, all of these things that. The, the rubber when the rubber meets the road. Um, this is our preliminary schedule. We've got ten video sessions starting today, going through October twenty second. Uh, we're going to start off the first. So this is actually a conference that he taught, and so we're just going to we're going to these are all we're going to have like twenty five minute videos in each session, and then we'll have discussion. We'll start off with some initial opening discussion. We'll watch a video, and then we'll discuss how to apply it to our lives. Uh, but we're going to have the first. First four weeks are really just foundational issues. What is the family? Uh, what is what is God's design for the family? And the heart is the target. Talking about reaching the heart of our children, and then we're going to take a few weeks each to deal with specific age ranges and some of the unique challenges of those age ranges. So infancy to childhood, and then childhood ages six to twelve, and then the teenage years, thirteen plus. So um, Steve Watson and I are going to. Uh, tag team will trade off leading the discussion for the for each week. So before we watch the video, we're going to dive into that in a minute, but I just want to open up with some questions. Uh, hopefully you had your coffee or um, you can think a little bit, but what do you think is God's purpose for the family and is there a right way to parent? Some loaded questions for the morning. Ray. Righteous offspring. Righteous offspring. That's God's purpose for the family. Yeah. All right. Josh? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think what Ray said is good. Um, fostering an environment in which you can raise kids that will, you know, give you the best chance possible. Um, actually, coming to the Lord and 
Yeah. Yeah, Josh said creating a home environment where, where your children will have the opportunities to follow the Lord, to, to, to believe in Him, to follow Him. Anyone else want to add to that? In a sense, it's like one of God's primary contexts for discipleship. Yeah. Yeah, when was the family established? Genesis 1. You see there, you remember Genesis 1, male and female, um, He created them, and the first command He gave them it's more than just the family, but it, the family is built into that first command. Be fruitful, multiply, take dominion of the earth, so have children. And then the implication of that is, you know, pass on this, this commission to be, my, to be the image bearers of God to your children. They will multiply and fill the earth. Um, anything else? Is there a right way to parent? I'm sure you'd all agree there's, a, there's wrong ways to parent, but is there a right way to parent? Through the Word of God. Yep, through the Word of God. We'll, we'll get into more practical matters in the later weeks. Um, I mean, I, hopefully we would all, at least in, in principle, I think hopefully we would all agree that God's Word is to be the, the, the foundation upon which we parent. When it gets into practical matters, though, when the kids are screaming at you and you've got the, the dishes piling up and, you know, you're... 17 things on your to-do list that are undone then you know it's in those moments when uh, we really our, our theology really gets fleshed out do we really believe what we say we believe so this first lesson though we're going to want I'm going to queue up the video in a second I'd just like to encourage well a word of warning and a word of encouragement um, the word of warning is to prepare for the scalpel I, I borrow borrowing that someone's used that in a book by John Owen as in their introduction, but I'm um, prepared for the scalpel in the sense that before we think about how we're going to raise our children, we have to kind of look into our own hearts and and deal with our own heart issues. And so this first lesson, he dives in deep and you know it encourages us all to look at our own hearts. And in the midst of that, although it can be, you might even feel like you know I'm a failure. I'll never reach. I'll never measure up to what I'm supposed to be as a parent. And uh, I mean, if you feel that way, actually, that's, that's hopefully a good thing because that's really, you know, if we're going to believe the gospel, then we're going to admit that we, as our children and, and everyone in the human race, we're all, we all fall short and we all need God's grace and we're all dependent upon Him. So in that sense, parenting can be a mirror to, to realize both our children's need for the gospel and our own need for the gospel. But I'm going to let Paul Tripp do the heavy lifting and then we've got, so you got some, a place to take notes. All right. Let's dive in then to our video. There's two things for sure that you can say about parenting. One is there are few things in life that would rise to the level of importance of being God's chosen instrument to be part of the forming of a soul of a human being. That is a pretty awesome task. The second thing you can say for sure is parenting is hard. And so we want to do this this weekend is I want to take you on a bit of a journey. I want to begin tonight with laying two foundations that will, will be the basis of everything else that we consider uh, for the rest of the weekend. And then 
uh, tomorrow we will apply those two foundations to three stages of parenting, uh, zero to five, six to 12, 13 to 18. Now, if you're a parent of a teenager, don't think that you can come at the end tomorrow. You need to be here because you will identify gaps in your parenting and places where you need to remediate. If you're a parent of a young child, don't think that you can leave early because uh, it happens very fast that you have teenagers. It's, it's just impossible for me to imagine that I am the father of a 33-year-old man. Now, I know you're looking at me and thinking this man is way too young <laughs> to have a son that uh, old, but it's, it's true. I must quit thinking of myself as a recent graduate of college. <laughs> and I would like you to think with me uh, this evening. Think rubber meets the road. Think what you do in the van's and kitchens, and family rooms of everyday life, what is it that you're working on? What in the world are you doing? Why do you set the rules that you set? Why do sometimes you get angrier than you ever thought you'd get at somebody who happens to be your own child? Why do you have conversations and avoid others? What are you doing? And why are you doing it? What in the world is this thing we call parenting anyway? Well, I want to do this for you as we begin. I want to get you to think about the family. If you had a pencil and a piece of paper right now and you were going to write what God's plan is for the family, what would you write? What's the job description for the family? I'm deeply persuaded if you don't get the family, you'll never get parenting. And I want to start by taking you to a passage of Scripture. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Judges uh, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, please bring one with you. Uh, you're going to need it. Now, this passage of Scripture is about the time when Israel is crossing over into the Promised Land. The Bible says these things were written for our example and our instruction because these are people just like us. Follow as I read. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel, each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of inheritance at Timnath Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Now listen very carefully. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. 
And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Now, you you may be thinking, what in the world does that passage have to do with anything that's remotely interesting to me as a parent? This is a rather shocking passage of Scripture because it says that after that first generation that crossed over the Jordan River into the Promised Land died, the very first generation of children, Israelite children, born and raised in the Promised Land, are you ready for this? Grew up as virtual pagans. And the words are very specific. It says not only did they not know God in some kind of personal faith way, it says they didn't even know what he had done for Israel. They didn't know the own the facts of their own redemptive history. And what happened is they immediately began to serve the gods of the surrounding culture. Get this principle. If we are not enculturating our children in the things of God, they will be enculturated by the surrounding society that will always happen. Your children will not remain neutral. They will not remain cultureless. Because of what God's called me to do, I get to do this material around the world. And often I'll be in a situation where there'll be some teenagers around and, and I'll try to get three or four of them in a corner and I'll say, can I inter- interview you for a moment? I'm safe. I'm leaving. And it's been a sad experience for me. I'll be very honest with you. Because what I've experienced again and again is under a thin veneer of faith, our teenagers are buying the idols of the surrounding culture. The way they think about it, what's important, what their hopes and dreams are, their real operational values, their definition of the good life does not emerge from the Word of God. So you look back in this, at this passage, and when you read this passage that records such a shocking thing, you ought to immediately ask yourself, how in the world did this happen? And maybe you'd be tempted to think, well, the prophets must not have prophesied faithfully, and the judges must not have judged righteously, and the priests must have failed in their mediatorial duty, and whatever you would say about the failure of those offices, the reason for the unbelief of these children falls smack dab in the laps of moms and dads. You say, well, Paul, what, what's, your, what's your proof of that? Well, when, when God is preparing Israel to go into the promised land, He gives them their final set of instructions. It's found in Deuteronomy, the first several chapters. And I love this passage of Scripture. It's power-packed with information. It sort of has that feel of the kind of conversation a parent would have with their teenage child as they drop him or her off for the first semester at a residential university. You try to download every good thing you've ever taught to that child in about 45 seconds. You're talking like this. The child says, yes, I will. No, I won't. I wouldn't think of doing that. You can trust me, Mom. I'll call you. That would never happen. And God says essentially this, parents, 
I have chosen the family to be my primary learning community. That is the essence of the job of the family. Parents, if you're going to get the family right, you need to know that God's goal for the family is perseverantly and comprehensively and expansively educational. I'm not talking about homeschooling here. I'm talking about the fact that the family was ordained by God to download to children all the essential facts of facts of the human existence, facts apart from which you cannot be what you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do. That's the job of the family. And know this, the church was never given by God to replace you. Parents, the church is given to equip you to do your job. The state is not there to replace you. At best, the state will protect you as you do your job. The school will not replace you. At best, the school will support you as you do your job. You have an essential role in the development of this child so that this child would understand things that you absolutely need to understand if in any way you're going to live the way you were designed to live and be what you were designed to be. Now, that sort of begs the question, what in the world does it mean for the family to be a learning community? What does that look like? And, and I want to spend this moment with you unpacking that. Well, the first thing it means is the family is made by God to be a theological community. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you have got to be kidding me. I just wish that my son's bedroom didn't look like a bombsite. I wish my five-year-old daughter wasn't so argumentative. I wish my kids would for once act like they have a twit of love for one another. What in the world does it mean to be a theological community? Think with me. What is the core, the essence of theology? Theology is the study of God. And what the family must recognize is the ultimate fact of facts of the human existence is the existence, character, and plan of God. God is the ultimate fact that defines and gives reason and meaning to every other fact. Everything you look at, you can't look at properly unless you look at it through the lens of the existence, the character, and the plan of God. You can't understand history. You can't understand science. You can't understand mathematics. You can't understand human relationships. You can't understand finances or government or community or sexuality or leisure. You cannot properly understand anything unless you start with the existence, the character, and the plan of God. The great Christian thinker John Calvin said this, there is no knowing that doesn't begin with knowing God. Now, God has helped us here. Because God has created His world in such a way that His world reveals Him. 
And so you don't have to, you don't have to have a natural sort of weird, uh, biblical conversations with your kids, uh, out of context. It doesn't have to be unnatural to talk about God. Think about this. Because God has embedded his existence in creation, it's absolutely natural, unnatural not to talk about God all the time. Think about this. Everywhere you look, you see the glory of God. God made soft and God made hard. God made cold and God made hot. God made water that boils on one end and freezes on the other. You probably use both ends today. God made the amazing muscles of the human face that can create such uh, expression just by flexing. Uh, The lens of the human eye that focuses this close all the way to infinity. Well, with some of us. God made the endless timber of the human voice that every human voice has a different timber to it so that somebody can call you on the phone and they don't even need to tell you their name because you recognize that timber of that individual voice. How awesome is that? God made the delicacy of a human kiss, the endless variety of human hair, Think just of the engineering of the nose. Look around. Go ahead, do it. (laughs) How many billion has God created and he hasn't repeated a model? And the engineering is great. Could you imagine if your nose was upside down? Not only would it look weird, you couldn't go out in the rain. (laughs) Can you imagine if your nose was here? Well, that would be weird, and it'd be way too close to your armpit. <laughs> uh, do this for me. Just look at your, your finger for a moment. Uh, the finger is amazing design, you know. It's, it's got this thin uh, layer of skin on the end of it and this hyper uh, constellation of nerve endings, your your finger is so nervacious there. On the other end uh, is this ever-replenishing hard surface that uh, you need to pick things up. Uh, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. You don't have to go any further than the end of your finger to see the glory of God. I was home one afternoon making bread. I love to cook. And I added some yeast to some warm water and a little bit of oil, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt. Uh, the yeast had bloomed and I had added the flour and I had begun to knead it and it was that sort of unappetizing looking plasticine substance at that moment. But I was, I was thinking about the fact that the yeast would create a gas and inter- interact with the gluten of the flour and this would begin to expand and it become this light, airy substance and when baked would form this beautiful crust. And it hit me that this chemical, physical process came out of the mind of God. And it's just one of millions of millions of those physical, chemical processes that came out of the mouth of God. I was, I was actually making bread, but it was a moment of wonder and worship for me. About then, my, my 
then 20-year-old son, Ethan, came home. He had ridden the subway home, and I, I said to him as he walked in the door, hey, Ethan, do you ever think about yeast? He said, yeah, Dad, I was riding home on the subway today thinking yeast is cool. I said, no, think about this. And I, and I, I went through the, the process with him. And then I said, you know, this is just one of millions of these things that we work with every day, that we depend on every day, that make our life what it is every day, that came out of the mind of God. How amazing is that? And, and as sort of a joke, I said, and if God hadn't made yeast, all of life would be a cracker. He said, wow, Dad, that's deep. And, and walked off. You see, and prayed for his dad. Uh, being a theological community, parents, get this, is not making irritated sort of self-righteous little sermons to your kids. That doesn't attract those children to you or to God. It's, it doesn't mean using God as the ultimate club. You know, when we often, the only time we get God out in our families is when our children aren't behaving well and we want to, we want to instill some kind of fear in them. So we say something like this, you know, God's watching right now and he could crush you like a bug. That just makes your child's heart run after God. Uh, Isaiah says, I quoted it a minute ago, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Luella, my wife and I were in Switzerland. We were at the top of the Clausen Pass, some 10, 11,000 feet. It was summer, but there was glacier-like conditions up there. And we went to walk across the road to see a marker and uh, as we looked down at as I looked down at the base of the mark, it was all ice. There were growing these yellow Arctic flowers. Now, Arctic flower is an oxymoron to me, but there is such a thing. And I realized I could reach down and I could press these blossoms with my fingers and destroy them, but somehow they had pushed their way through the ice and they were blooming in this yellow glory, reflecting against the ice. I was transfixed. Luella slid up next to me and and I said to her, do you know what I'm thinking? She says, I know exactly what you're thinking. Who but our God could create such a thing? Here's your job. Parents, get this. Your job is to give awe to your child. Your child is hardwired to live in awe of something greater than himself. I am terrified of teenagers who, whose biggest awe is them. And I'm supposed to live in wonder. I'm supposed to be blown away. I'm supposed to be uh, in, in almost a trembling fear of the grandeur and glory and wisdom and power of this God who I've had pointed to me all the time. Moms, how can you fry an egg without worship? I'm serious. Think about what that thing is. Boil water. Look out at your garden. Watch the power of a rainstorm come in and bend and twist the trees. 
hear sounds that your, your ears are able to process and your brain is able to make sense of and, and somebody can say something to you that's deeply meaningful and tears come in your eyes. What an amazing thing. How's that happen? Literally living with you ought to be God, 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 God. I'm blown away. Listen, being a theological community means I get from dough to God and back 50 times a day. And developing in my child is this awe of God, this wonder at his wisdom and his glory and his faithfulness. Now, I'm about to hurt your feelings. There are many of you in this room who aren't doing that because you look at your world and you don't see God. You see a busy schedule. You see laundry that needs to be done. You see bills that need to be paid. You see the messy chaos of the family, but you don't see God. Parents, hear this. Here's what's always true in parenting. You can't give away that which you do not have. And there are parents in this room, you literally ought to get home tonight, get alone, and say, God, please open my eyes. I'm blind to you, and because I'm blind to you, I'm not giving awe and wonder to my child. Listen, a human being who does not live in awe of God is a profoundly disadvantaged human being. Now, Why is this so important? Why is this giving this wonder, giving this awe, giving this recognition of God so important? Well, there's three things that you need to know about your children. First, they were created by God to be revelation receivers. Now, here's what this means, that they will never know all the things that they need to know to live properly by personal research and uh, experience. They will never ever, by research and experience, understand the things they need to understand to live appropriately. Wisdom is the result of God's revelation. And so God has spoken to us in His Word. I need this book in order to understand fundamental things that define the nature and purpose of life for me. And so what I want to do is I want to raise children who are in such awe of God that when I begin to get out God's book, They're already predisposed to listen to it because they're in awe of the God who is the author of the book. Parents, does that describe your children? You're in big trouble if you're pulling out this book, if you're referencing... It's the mustache. It waits down my lips. Uh, You're referencing this book to your children, and they have no awe of the God who wrote it. 
Because understanding this book and submitting to its wisdom is at the heart of being what you were created to be. Are your children in such awe of God that when you get out the book, they're ready to listen to it? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he was talking about you know, his ministry as an apostle, but I think it's appropriate here. He said, who is sufficient for these things? I mean, I certainly don't feel sufficient to lead a discussion on this, and I don't know, I'm sure, hopefully, in, if you're understanding the weight of what he's saying, you probably don't feel sufficient for this calling as a parent either. But God has given us this calling. So let me just, I, you got some review questions there if you have a copy of them. Um, I'm, let's just go through those review questions. I want this to be, you know, that was the bulk of the teaching. I have a couple of scriptures I can add in to share, but I, I want to hear from you guys. I'll have this be more of an interactive time. So having heard this um, teaching from, from Paul Tripp, uh, what is the primary learning community in God's eyes? I'll give you an easy one to start off. <laughs> um, Okay, well, follow up. Okay, yes, you know, the family, the primary learning community in God's eyes. What's the relationship between then the family with the state, the school, the church? You know, how, how does the family interact with these other institutions that also are involved in, you know, your child's life? To equip. Church exists to equip. Equip who? Parents. Equip parents, yeah. Yeah, the church is Adam said the church is there to equip parents. What else? What about the, the state or the school? Protection. Protection. Yeah, at best, he said. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even do that. Um, but all that, as much as we like to complain, we still have a country where we're not afraid of like the government coming in and uh, at, at this point you know, like throwing us in jail because we're opening the Bible at home. So we do, as much as we complain, we have a much to actually give thanks to God for. What about schools? To support us, though. Yeah. What we're doing, what we're hopefully leading. Yeah, they're supporting our our um, our calling to educate and train our children, and probably filling in gaps that we might not know. Other, you know, topics, materials that we're not perhaps equipped to teach them. So, if the family is the primary learning community, why is it absolutely necessary to talk about God within your family? To get from, as he said, to get from dough to God and back fifty times a day. That's um, why is that important? Why is it absolutely necessary? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And if I don't, if I don't teach my kids, who's gonna? They're gonna learn it from somewhere else. Yeah. Not. Right. Yeah, they're gonna learn somehow. Their you know their brains are at work at you know from the very earliest ages. They're putting together how does this you know, world work. Later he says they're like, at three years old, they're like Columbus. They're like, you know, they're out to discover this brand new land, this world, and they're going to they're gonna learn ways that the world works. And, yeah, if, if they're not learning God's ways, they're, you know, like you said, they're revelation receivers. They need to hear it from somebody. How does this, how does God make the world to work? Right? Something like I grew up not really knowing God or about God. And um, so... The whole entire world was really, really confusing 
place, you know, and it wasn't until I found out the truth about God that the world began making sense, you know, it's like, like Paul was talking about in the video, you know, uh, God is the primary first cause of all existence, and absolutely nothing can be understood correctly right. apart from reference to God and knowledge of God. Right. So God is the beginning of knowledge and beginning of the Yeah. Yeah, and when they're very young, it's just very simple. Like, who made you? Who made the the, the sky? Who made the trees? I mean, those very basic conversations. And then as they get older, it's like, you know, why is the world the way it is? Why is there such suffering and pain and yet such beauty and why is the sunset so beautiful i mean you can see at both at a very at a two-year-old level and a you know 16 year old level conversations that show how god is the, the organizing principle of all of the world anyone else want to add to that why talking about god is so important in the family to god. yeah nice the, the wonder of who he is yeah. And instill that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a culturally Christian home. Um, but I remember the first time I had a friend who, like, was a, a different kind of Christian. And she was hmm. like, you believe the clouds today? Like, look at that. That's amazing. And I was just struck. Like, I just had never heard any conversation like that before. And I yeah. was a high schooler. And it was just like a whole other level of enjoyment of God. And so I feel mm-hmm. like I learned that with my kids almost. Yeah. Like trying to give them that. Right. So. Right. Yeah, as he said, you're not going to give it to your children if you don't have it yourself. So um, that is a, that, that's the part that feels uh, overwhelming. And um, so in some sense, a, a level of just. Like I said, who is sufficient for these things? How can we cultivate in our own hearts that awe of God, like the world that He made? And but um, He gives grace for that, and little by little, you know, we we can grow in these things and just yeah, seeing the whole world as His world. I remember John Piper said something, you know, sermon years ago. He's like, you ever just look at a frog and just see how that frog hops and just be blown away by this hopping creature? I mean, the world's full of those kinds of things. So. Let me, if you want to turn your Bible to Deuteronomy 6, I want to show you from Scripture one of the, this is kind of the, the flip side of Judges 2. You know, he read Judges 2, which is all doom and gloom, like the people forgot God after one generation. I had a, I heard one time um, a professor say, church is always one generation away from apostasy. Like, you know, you're, if, if your children don't, pick up the truth and hold fast to it, then, you know, the church will be, you know, won't be a church next generation. And the same is true for us. You know, like if our generation, you could say that, you could put yourself in that shoes, in those shoes. If, if we don't hold fast the truth in one sense, I mean, the other side of it is God is building His church and He's going to do it regardless of whether we're faithful or not. But um, it, <laughs> we're, we're prone to forget. So Deuteronomy 6, though, is the other side. This is, you know, the, what he said, the instructions that he's giving, like, rapid fire to the kids as they're getting ready to go off to college. Um, this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. I won't read it, but Deuteronomy 6, the, really the whole chapter, there's some sections in there that are pretty well known. You might have heard them before. Um, I'll start at the beginning, though, and just read, like, 1 through 5, or 1 through 8, or 9. Um, sorry, it's getting longer. <laughs> Just 1 through 25, that's all. <laughs> um, 
This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'll stop there, but, you know, this is... a. You probably have heard this passage, or maybe maybe you haven't, but it's it's frequently referenced in parenting context because you know as he says there in verses seven and eight, or six and seven, that we're to diligently pass on these truths, these words, um, to our children. Talk of them when you're sitting in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You know, like he said, fifty times a day. But what are the words that we're supposed to pass on? What is the the content and the purpose of, of that content? Loving the Lord your God and His commandments. Yeah, loving Lord your God and keeping His commandments. But I want you to notice, you know, I, I've often heard this in the context of just, well, you know, we need to teach them the Ten Commandments, the moral principles, like we need to, them to develop good values. I mean... Yes, that's true. We want them to have good values. But notice what else is in here. You know, in verse, go back to verse um, 1 and 2. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son. That's the goal that he's trying, that the commandments are, are intended to bring you to God into this relationship of he's saying fear here, which I would say is really just the flips. You know, fear and awe are really the same thing. Um, you know, the biblical authors often use fear to talk about this attitude of just reverence and and awe of who God is, respect for Him and His holiness, and even love. Like fearing God and loving God are not different things. They're really the same posture of heart towards who God is. So, and you see that if you kept reading in Deuteronomy six, you would see that he repeats that um, in verse 13. He says, God's going to bless you with all these things, and you're going to be prone to forget. Verse 13, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. And then also down in verse 24, he says a similar thing. So this is just showing, even from Deuteronomy 6, what, what Paul Tripp was was arguing to us that you know we need that's really the goal here. And you don't want really to speak about God so that your kids learn how to behave. We want them to fear and reverence God. Go ahead. Say too that that passage, the backdrop to that passage is the Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. That is the mighty acts that God did. So they they knew they had this awe of God because they not only the Exodus story and how they were saved from the Egyptians, but Mount Sinai and the pillar of fire and the yeah. thunder and all of those things, that was you know, the wake-up call, like, oh, we we have this awe of God because we've experienced His hmm. mightiness, and now these are, this is what He's told us to do, and so right. that's, the, that's a foundation for 
before that happened. Yeah. Yeah, he's already delivered us. He's already done the mighty work. We're not we're not called to do that ourselves. Let's see. This is just you have these in your in your outline there if you um um, these were just summarizing then the main points that, that Paul Tripp made in his talk. Our children will be acculturated to something. They will not remain cultureless. The family is the primary learning community. Family is the pri- primary theological community. Parents will not share the glory of God with their children when they themselves do not see the glory of God. And your children cannot know everything there is to know about life without God's revelation. I just have a few now questions. They're in your, they're in your um, handbook. But what... You know, he talked about us being a theological community, and, you know, he raised the question, like, you know, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I've just got to get, I can't even get the laundry done, and the the dinner made, and the bills paid, and the lawn's got to be mowed. What do you mean I'm a theological community? What is it that keeps us from, you know, that all sounds well and good in a, you know, in a talk, in a Sunday school class, but what is it, day-to-day life, uh, rubber meets the road, what is it that keeps us from functioning that way in our homes? Okay, but just to play devil's advocate, if you don't do the dishes, then your kitchen's going to become like, you know, mold is going to form and uh, insects are going to grow. And so, um, how do you. What do we say to that? I would say that, that when you're doing the dishes, you have an opportunity to go, look at this. We have plates and we have soap and we have this, you know, this even is something God created. Hmm. You can bring it into everything you do. It's not, you're never isolated from God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you gave the example of making bread. Like, that's yeah. a chore, so to speak. I mean, you got to mm-hmm. prepare meals, so that's in and of itself, it's. Uh, Finding God in that. Right. So, yeah, Catherine? Your own heart attitude shifting your focus away from God and letting those other things become your focus instead of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. You explain what you mean, like letting the letting the activity become the focus that you're talking about? Yeah. What else? I mean, obviously, so you're right. The things have to get done. I mean, your children need to eat. Um, <laughs> the house has to be, you know, somewhat cleaned up you know there's different levels there of cleanliness but you know the, the family's not going to be healthy and, and live if we don't do if we're not doing activities I don't think I know your name but Jordan, Jordan. Uh, underestimating where our children are at so uh, I mean we answer the question we miss the opportunity to be able to hold in the theological because they're all they might struggle just with practical application mm-hmm. yeah I think Oh, did you want to add something, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, this is one of the places where, like, even the Zen folk got, got this one figured out when they talked about before enlightenment, you chop wood and carry water, you know? You're like, oh, man, when am I going to get enlightenment? You know, chop wood and carry water and stuff, and then it clicks one day, wait a minute. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. It's like when, when you're doing stuff with your family with a mindfulness that this is, this is all for the glory of God, everything that I do and every activity that I engage in, can be an act of worship to God, and I can teach this to my children in the interest of the day, rather than getting all caught up in the details and lost in the in the busyness of it. Right. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. It's a heart posture that isn't necessarily. I mean, it may be. You know, it's it's a discipline that we have to work in our own hearts to get them in a right place with God. That we're we're relating with Him as we should, 
Um, and then guarding that throughout the day and nurturing that and, and, and building that, um, like you said, there's if you're looking for it and if you're praying, you're just praying. You know, he said, go home and, and pray, God, I am not seeing you. I've been blind to you. I mean, asking him to help you to see how he is in a hundred things that you're doing every day that you may not even be aware of. You know, we've, we've read a lot of the, the Lamplighter series books for kids. Yeah, and the, a lot of books that were written back in the late 1800s. But you, all, with all these books that were written back then, you see this constant theme of, of um, the characters, especially the seasoned Christians in those books, are always pointing their children to the glory of God and the awe of God. And, and the provision of God. So everything that happens, there's like, isn't God great that He did this for us? And it could be the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. And I just, I listen to that going, man, I don't give God the glory for these, even the little things that happen, but it's a mindset that right. we're constantly dependent on God for everything. Right. And we don't, it, that doesn't hit us every day. We think we're getting all this stuff. Right. Maybe you pray to thank God for your food, but is that just a rote prayer you do because you're supposed to? Or are you actually thanking God? He caused the grass to grow and the garden to produce and the animals to grow and all of that. Everything that went into your food that you're eating, God is in all of that. Yeah. And a million other things we don't even know. Any other any other thoughts or questions on that? Or Johnny, you want to add something? Yeah, I would say too. It's not just your words, though. It's your actions. I mean, if you're constantly telling your kid to do a certain thing, or even pointing to God in certain ways, but then you're, you know, the way you respond to a poor situation. Right. And I, I'm thinking about my own parents. Like, right. I was constantly watching my dad and what he did. He may not have been the most outspoken person, but I learned a lot from him from his actions. So if those two aren't aligned, right. then I, I can see that totally keeping your family from being a theological community. Right. And I think this is why um, I think it's so important to realize we're not just after like passing on theological information or rules or moral. I mean, it's very, I mean, the Pharisee, we're not the fair is a Pharisee inside all of us. Like, if my kids would just behave and get good grades and have a mod- moderate amount of extracurriculars, like, okay, I'm you know I'm happy. I feel I look good in the community. Like, I can go to church and everyone respects me. I mean, that's that's inside all of our hearts. I think so. If that's what we're after, is just well-behaved children that you know check all the boxes, then it's easy to just di- differentiate. I mean, to, you can you know your walk and your talk can be in different places. But if we're really after awe of God and fear of God, then He's going to be working in our hearts too so that our walk supports our talk in, in growing measure. But, and I'm not saying that your walk should replace your talk. Right. But, but the, you're right, it should want. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where like uh, part of being a theological community is being people under God ourselves and repenting when we sin against our kids. Yeah. And telling them that are so, I mean, I feel like there's this kind of shift that happens. The older our kids get, the more they realize that we are fallible people and they don't hold us up on that, like this, like, oh, mom and dad, wow. You know, they're like, oh, mom and dad, you know. But I think that we ought to own that yeah. and not be too high and mighty and that we all are, we all sit at the foot of the cross and we progress. Yeah. And I think that's part of it, too. Yeah. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate it too. I think it needs to be really hard 
to teach our kids about God. I mean, it doesn't have to be. It hmm. can be so basic. Yeah. Um, what things? Last question. The other second question. Uh, what? I know we're, we've just got about five minutes left, or two minutes left. Um, what things in our children's lives are competing with our values? Who do you think is winning? As we said earlier, if you're not teaching them that this is God's world, then they're going to learn it's somebody's world, or they're going to, you know, and real, realistically, it's going to be their world. They're they're on the throne of their world if you haven't taught them otherwise. Social media. Social media. Anything else? The whole entire world is competing. Yeah. Every aspect of our lives can be competing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's already the default button is I'm the center of the universe. Mm. Yeah. Why aren't you feeding me right now? Do you not get the program? Why I'm hungry? What's wrong with you? <laughs> little baby starts right. right then, right? Right. I'm gonna die, and you're gonna. I'm gonna make your life miserable until you right. act right. Right. So the, the default button is themselves. They are the center of the universe. Yeah. It's not just the world around them that will play into that. Right. Yeah, there's this complex, you have idolatry in the culture, but then you have idolatry in their own hearts, and they're feeding each other. And, um, yeah, it changes your perspective on your children when you're thinking about not just this behavior, but what is really ruling their heart in that moment? What are they, what what values are they really after? And usually it is that. It's, I'm going to be... Me over my sister, me over my brother, me over my parents. I'm gonna be, I'm the, I'm the god of this situation. I felt like if if your two year old had the physical capability, they would kill you. Like, <laughs> if, if they if they could physically do it, right? Yeah, they would to get what they want. Right. Right. So luckily they're small. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true of our two year old. Yeah. Yeah. All he can do is throw things on the ground. But if he could, you know, if he could pick up a a, a weapon. I'm sure it would be another story. Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot here to think about. You have in your book, or if you don't have it, I'll put them up here. Some questions for just personal reflection. But you know, how well do you communicate the awe of God to your children? I mean, we're all going to fall short here. We're, all, we all have room to grow in this. But you know, think about that. What what you can do to communicate the awe of God to your children it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to you know study detailed notes of the scripture. I mean, you can get it from scripture, but you can just get it from the world too. It's God's world. So, secondly, what prevents you from speaking about God to your children in the course of the day? Maybe you're too busy. But if there's ways to do it, even in the midst of your activities, driving the car, you still have, you know you're you're with your kids at the at the at a meal. What can what what can you recognize about God? in the ordinary things that you're doing. And do you think you spend enough time speaking about God and His Word to your children? Do you spend enough time with God and His Word? What can you do to increase this time? I would would just say that those questions have a common theme, and that is getting getting us out of our own head Mm -hmm. and our own problems and our own situation and getting us to look outwards towards God and towards others. Mm -hmm. So that's really... Yeah. That's the crux of what these questions are trying to point us to. Yeah. All right. Well, let me close this in prayer, and then if you have any, I'm happy to talk more if you have any questions. Our Heavenly Father, God, we are so humbled as we think about the calling that you've given us to 
you entrusted other humans into our care, and uh, even in our weakness and sin, our own selfishness, our own idolatry, our own waywardness, God, you've given us this high, high calling to to train up our um, our children. And we we pray for your help. We pray for eyes to see your beauty and your glory and your creativity and your love and your faithfulness in all the ordinary events of our lives, and for. Um, hearts and that will be um, eager to just to share that naturally and winsomely and lovingly with our children. Um, we pray that you would be cultivating in our hearts a, an awe of you, a fear of you, and that we would um, be grow in our ability and our skill to to share that with our children. We pray this in Christ's name, Amen.